Welcome to Christian Historical Fiction Talk. I'm your host, author Liz Tolsma. I'm so glad that you have joined us here on the podcast today because you know if it's happening in the world of Christian historical fiction, it's happening here. Before we get started, you know we have to do these quick reminders just for those who maybe are new here to the podcast, so I'll run through them as fast as possible. Please subscribe to Christian Historical Fiction Talk on your favorite podcasting platform so that you get alerts and you don't miss a single one of our episodes. We have had some great guests in the past. We have a great guest today. We have more great guests coming up in the future, and you don't want to miss a single solitary one of them. So be sure that you are subscribed. You can also find Christian Historical Fiction Talk on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, and you can interact with us over there. And that's another great way to stay informed of when we have new episodes releasing. That's it. Pretty painless, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. One more thing. If you would like the show notes from today, which include more about the author that we'll be talking to, about her book and links to her book where you can purchase it, then please visit my website, which is liztolsma.com. All of that information will be posted there. So please visit me on my website to find out more about today's episode. Okay, now I think that we are ready to dive in. Today's guest might be a new author to you, but The book that she has just released is her fourth book, so she's not a brand new author. She loves to read, and tell me which author doesn't love to read, but in addition to fiction, she also loves to read history books and search the web for historical tidbits. She loves to travel, and she's been doing that since she was a teenager. She backpacked through Germany and Eastern Europe, studying German in Salzburg, eating gelato in Italy, and riding camels in Morocco. Wow, that sounds like a really exciting life. She says that travel is the best kind of research. So please join me in welcoming author Stephanie Lansom to the podcast today. Welcome to the show, Stephanie. We're so glad to have you join us. I am glad to be here. For those of you who aren't familiar with you or don't know you very well, why don't we start off with having you introduce yourself to the listeners? Sure. I'm Stephanie Lansom. I write historical fiction. I live in Minnesota, although I am originally from the Pacific Northwest. I moved out to Minnesota when I was very young, 18-year-old, and I've been here ever since, so I consider myself a Midwesterner. I've been married for 31 years, and I have four adult children. I kind of like to say that they're that they're adults on their good days. <laughs> so um, we all know how that goes. Yeah. And I write historical fiction for Tyndale Publishing. My first three novels that I wrote were for Howard Books, and that was biblical fiction. And so this new book is kind of a a new step for me out into a different time period, which is very fun. And when I'm not writing, I'm reading. I read a lot, read a lot of historical fiction, a lot of other books. I do a lot of research and I try to get outside and do gardening. And my, my husband and I do a lot of biking and traveling. We used to travel a lot. Hopefully we'll begin to do that again soon. And that's me. It's kind of, it's kind of my life. 
Well, that all sounds really great. Tell us a little bit about your new book, In a Far-Off Land. In a Far-Off Land is a historical fiction that's set in 1930s Hollywood. It's about a girl named Mina, and the story is based on the parable of the prodigal son, which most people know, and they It's also called The Parable of the Merciful Father. And so it's a story about Mina. She runs away from home in the Midwest, steals her father's money, goes off to Hollywood, and she's sure that she's going to strike it rich and make it big. But what comes is a famine in the land known as the Great Depression, and she doesn't do very well. And uh, Mina ends up in a whole lot of trouble and a, a pretty deep pit of despair. And she has to decide whether she's willing to go back to her father, who's waiting for her. And it's kind of a story of mercy, just like the parable. I love that. It's really a different time period, a different setting, and a different topic to be talking about, really. Was it your background in biblical fiction that got you interested in writing about the parable of the prodigal son? It was in a in a somewhat roundabout way. I do love writing biblical fiction and the Living Water series that I did is very much about women and how women who encountered Jesus, you know, actually in that time period, like encounter him face to face how it changes them and transforms them. And so I loved writing those stories of these women like Martha and Mary and the woman at the well. But after I had finished those stories, I went on a short trip to California and I started thinking about these parables that Jesus told and how he told us stories. And he tried to like, he tried to tell us the truths of our lives through stories because I think that's how we as humans relate is in this kind of story world. We can put ourselves in any of these characters that he talks about. And I thought, wouldn't that be a great story to set in Hollywood because of the, you know, the depths of sinfulness that can happen in Hollywood, especially in the thirties, it was known as, you know, a place of debauchery, but then the Great Depression came. And so that was kind of like the famine that he talked about, that this poor prodigal son ended up you know, working on a farm and eating, wanting to eat the pig's food because he was so poor and so hungry. So I thought, wow, that'd be great to set that parable here in that time period. I thought it would just really connect well with that. And as I started to work it through, I was like, yeah, this works. And I was really excited. So that's kind of how I made that transition from biblical to 1930s. That is brilliant. You're right. I think it really weaves in and out so well with the story of the prodigal son, Hollywood and the Great Depression time period. It all works really well. As I said, the world of Hollywood in the 1930s, that's a really different setting for a Christian historical fiction novel, especially. How was your research for that? You mentioned being in California, but what else did you have to do to research that time period and that setting and that lifestyle? Yeah, it was 
far different than biblical research. <laughs> I'm sure. Put it that yes. way. I mean, I didn't realize when I started writing biblical how difficult it would be because, I mean, we, you don't have, I mean, of course you have the Bible, which is always a great source. But apart from that, there's a lot of guesswork involved in just how things worked back then. It was not the case in 1930s. I mean, we have interviews, we have movies, we have films, radio programs, and there's just so much you could be, you can look at. And the photographs, I mean, who doesn't love those black and white photographs of the actors? They're just very glamorous and fun to look at. And and then you do have a lot of the true stories of what happened to a lot of these actors, especially when they were faced with this great fame and riches. And unfortunately, so many of them succumbed to that and ended up with, you know, addictions terrible, you know, family lives, like multiple marriages, and they were really miserable. You know, a lot of them were really miserable. And so you, you found like that dark side of Hollywood when you, when you really start digging into it. And I don't like to write dark books, so I I hope to get a good balance, but it was really clear that fame and fortune didn't lead to happiness. That's very true. A lot of people see the glitz and glam, like you said, of Hollywood, especially 1930s Hollywood, and think that's their ticket to everything that they ever want. And it doesn't turn out to be that quite that way, does it? Right. It's possible to live a good life with fame and, and lots of money, but it's not easy. And I think Jesus was trying to tell us that in many ways. You know, I mean, he even, he said, it's easier for a rich man to pass through the eye of a needle than to get to heaven. And I mean, that's a pretty strong warning of don't wish for this because <laughs> it's, it's not going to help you get closer to my father. Exactly. You mentioned that this is a story of mercy. So I can see where that would overcome the darkness that might threatened to overshadow the story because of the setting and what's happening in it. And your heroine struggles with shame and regret in the story. Did writing a character like that grow your sympathy and your empathy for people who find themselves in situations of shame and regret? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you really... You know, I'm I was I'm already very empathetic to them. Mercy has kind of been something that I've always felt called to talk about and read about and pray for is just that we try not to judge people. We just, you know, try to be as merciful as that father and welcome people back with you know, with forgiveness if they ask for it. And also like see people where they are. That whole like self righteous kind of a feeling, like that's never gonna help somebody. So so I think that Merciful Father parable speaks to us very much about that when we talk about the, the older son, the brother. And so I have that character within In the Far Off Land, too. Actually, two characters are very much, very much like the older brother. And I really relate to them because they have done everything right. They've done what they're supposed to do. They've worked hard to be good people. And then, then they see Bina who's being forgiven for something that you know they would never have done. So, yeah, I hope that it increases people's understanding of of how easy it is to fall into that self-righteous kind of thought process. 
Exactly. We all need mercy, don't we, from time to time. Mm -hmm. We all have shame and regrets in our lives, no matter how good we try to be. So I think we can live both sides of that fence in terms of both needing mercy and in extending mercy. Mm -hmm. True. It's easy for us to forget our own need for mercy and to just see it in other people. Exactly. Oh, yes. Far too easy. That's the problem. It's like, "Mm, I'm better than that person. I'm doing way better. Yeah. I did hear a sermon once on the prodigal son that focused more on the brother than it did on the prodigal son because it was directed at people in the church who feel that self-righteousness. And unfortunately, yes, that's something that many of us fall into, a trap that we definitely fall into. Now, this is historical fiction, and it sounds like you enjoy picking out some lesser-known historical events to work your books around. What are some of the lesser-known historical events that made it into In a Far-Off Land? Well, two that I guess come to mind. One is the Thomas Ince murder. See, I read a lot of history, and... I just naturally remember a lot of it. So for me, that's not an unknown event. That's something that's like top of mind for me. But I think a lot of people don't know about the Ince murder. It was an unsolved murder that happened in the 20s. Thomas Ince was a studio director who was mysteriously killed on a yacht. And they think that William Randolph Hearst had something to do with that. So I wanted to work that in somehow because I think it's fascinating, this unsolved murder. That one, but also the big historical event that was happening in the 1930s in Los Angeles that I think a lot of people don't know about is the Mexican repatriation. Maybe if you live in California, you know about it. But for me, it was a surprise what a big thing that was and how pervasive it was in the 30s. So what happened was in the 1920s, the railroads in the U.S. and a lot of the farmers in California actively recruited Mexican families to come to California to live and work because they needed workers. They didn't have enough population there to do what they needed to do, which was build a railroad. But then in the 30s, the Great Depression hit, and unemployment was at what, like, something ridiculous, like 30% or 35%. And so a lot of people wanted those Mexicans to go home, but they didn't have a home anymore. They were American citizens and their children were American citizens. But that really didn't matter to a great deal of the of the state and a whole lot of the government officials. And they were intimidated and very much forced onto buses and trains and sent back to Mexico with nothing, sometimes without even a chance to gather their belongings. So it was a a real crime and very disturbing when you think about it, what happened to them back then. And I I don't think a lot of people know that was going on. We've always had border trouble. And of course, we're having it now too. So it's kind of relevant to our times, even now to remember what happened. That is fascinating. I had never heard of that. And that's what I love about historical fiction because it can inform you of history without you know making you memorize facts or anything like that and right. it's, it it is kind of crazy how history sort of is cyclical and it just comes back to the same things happening over and over again doesn't it mhm yeah and if we you know if we don't look back and see what we did wrong 
the first time or the second time, then we're just going to keep doing it wrong and making the same mistakes. So what parallels do you see between in a far off land and situations today that we're encountering? Well, I think a lot of the, well, the border problems for one, and that's one of my characters, Oscar, is a Mexican-American, a Mexican citizen, but definitely afraid that he's going to be, his, that his entire family is going to be kicked out of the U.S. So I think that there's a lot of that going on right now. Just the whole idea of celebrity also is always something that's kind of fascinating to me, maybe just because I never want to be a celebrity. It sounds awful. <laughs> I'm an introvert and I wouldn't want people to even like recognize me. <laughs> but, but, you know, with social media at what it is and the, you know, films, movies, music, sports, you've just got these incredible celebrities. And I think we're getting a little out of hand in how we idolize celebrity. So I think that's another thing that is kind of touched on in the book, too. And family. And just like, what's more important, fame and fortune or or your real family that loves you? Exactly. Those are timeless topics and things that will always need to be talked about. And I agree with you with the celebrity today. You can be an Instagram star. You can be a... TikTok star, you can be a YouTube star. And so, so many more people, I think, are finding this fame and this life in front of the camera than ever before. Yeah. And just thinking that if only I could, if only I could be that, I'd be happy. It's like, no, that's, I think we've been, we've been shown many times, time and time again, that that doesn't make you happy. In fact, it's very often makes you miserable. I just love the premise for this book and how different it is. I can't think in all of my reading, and I do an awful lot of reading like you do, that I've ever heard anything on a topic like this that talks about the pitfalls of fame and fortune. And yes, it is so very timely for today and and so important for everyone to understand that that's not what brings you happiness at all. One other thing about this novel that I'm finding interesting, and of course, when I wrote it, I had no idea that we'd be going through the pandemic of 2020, but the Great Depression is getting a lot more interest and people are looking back at it a little bit more now, kind of because of the pandemic, because we went through this time of kind of privation, deprivation that we had never experienced before. And some people like me have grandparents or or even our parents who remember the Great Depression and told us about it and the things they would do to you know, make bread and you know, make things last. And, and we're kind of going back to that. And it's an interesting parallel between the Great Depression and 2020, I think. And I'm seeing a lot more books coming out set in the Great Depression. Oh, yeah, there are a whole bunch of them. I'm really surprised that that era has taken off the way that it has. But I think you're right that it really is resonating with people because of the pandemic. We were out of toilet paper. We didn't know what to do about that. (laughs) (laughs) And yeast. There was no yeast in the store. No, no. I had a hard time getting ground beef for a while there. So, right. It's just not something Americans are used to. No, it definitely gave us a snapshot into what it must have been like to 
not have those things or not have the means to be able to purchase those things. So I think that Mm -hmm. did help us be able to really identify with the Great Depression and the people who lived through that time. I think you've touched on this a little bit, but what is your hope? What do you hope your readers will take away once they read In a Far Off Land? I think it really depends on the reader. I'd like to reach people who aren't biblically based, maybe who don't have a working knowledge of the parables, and to just show them what what I'd really like is for someone like that to read the book, enjoy it, learn something from it, and then close the book and say, oh, was this, this kind of sounds familiar. I think there's something in the Bible that's kind of like this story. Like, isn't there some kind of thing Jesus said about the prodigal son? Because I'd love to have that light bulb go off at the end of the story. Mm-hmm. And that's why I didn't, I tried to be very subtle with the parallels to the parable for those who aren't looking for a biblical read. But then at the back in my author note, you know, I kind of spelled it out a little more clearly. Like This is how this works with the parable. But I'd love to have someone take that away, you know, and just say, oh, maybe I'll check that out. I'll check out that parable in the Bible. I think I have a Bible around here somewhere, you know. But other than that, it's just that idea of mercy, that idea of the Father's great mercy, and that he's just waiting for us to come back to him. You know, always waiting. He doesn't come out. He doesn't search. He doesn't, you know, come follow us and drag us home. He waits for us to come home and come to him. Lovely idea. Just lovely. What's up next for you? What's up next is another book with Tyndale, which I haven't really even put that out there that I've got another book coming out with Tyndale. It's due this summer. So I'm praying for a bona fide miracle to get the book done (laughs) by its due date. (laughs) So, So if you could just throw up some prayers for me on that one. But it is set in the same time period and also in Hollywood in California or Los Angeles. But it's a very different story. It's about the fascists who came over like as soon as Hitler was elected chancellor in Germany, he began to send people over to Los Angeles to try to infiltrate into the German community there and to gain support for the Nazis there, because his ultimate plan was to take over the United States, especially the film industry. And nobody really knows that. And it's such an interesting story. It's a completely true story. Only one guy really saw what was going on. And he set up his own spy network to spy on the Nazis in Los Angeles. So that's what this book is about. And it's fascinating. It's very fun to research and kind of scary in a lot of ways of what this guy, what this guy saved us from. Definitely. I don't know the particular person that you're talking about, but I had heard about Hitler's plans to infiltrate the U.S. to try to turn the U.S. Mm -hmm. to, to himself and to use Hollywood as his propaganda arm to do so. So mm-hmm. I, as a World War II nut myself, I, I was familiar with that. So that sounds really good. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely be praying that you get that one done because <laughs> it sounds like mm, another great thanks. read. If readers would like to connect with you, what's the best way they can connect with you? My website, which is stephanielansom.com. I'm doing a lot of blogging these days, a lot of stuff about old Hollywood, which is very fun, and giving away some books. So that's fun too. Instagram is Stephanie Lansom and Facebook as well. 
That sounds great. Do you have any last words for the listeners? I think maybe just like Mina, she was looking for her happy ending. And that's what we're all looking for is that happy ending. But I think it's probably a little different than what the world tells us is a happy ending. That's for sure. And we'll be excited to get to the end of the book and see if Mina gets her happy ending and what that looks like. (laughs) Yeah, I hope you enjoy it. Well, thank you so much for your time, Stephanie. It was really great talking to you and getting to know you, and we wish you all the best. You too, Liz. Thank you. That was so great to get to know Stephanie a little bit and to hear more about her book, In a Far Off Land. If you would like to find out more about Stephanie or about her book, In a Far Off Land, if you would like to get the link in order to purchase this book, then please head over to my website, which is liztolsma.com. I've made it really easy for you. My website is new and redesigned and back up and running for you so you can easily find all of this stuff. Please then head over to my website. Again, it's just my name, liztolsma.com, and you will find all of that information right there at your fingertips. Please be sure to join us next week when we are going to have a great topic for you. And since it's summer coming up, and hopefully we will be able to get out and at least start to do a little bit of travel again, what book or series of books have inspired you to want to travel somewhere? Perhaps it's something like Christy Cambrin's The Paris Dressmaker that makes me really, really want to visit Paris. What book is it that has sort of added a destination to your bucket list? You can find the question on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Just look up Christian Historical Fiction Talk on any of those platforms if you aren't following me there already, and you'll find the question there. Please leave your answer. You might get a shout out on next week's show, so be sure to be listening. Well, that's about all the time we have for this week. I hope you enjoyed our chat with Stephanie, and we will see you soon.